You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Hello, you lovely, lovely people. And welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast, which is also going to be the very first Q&A show. I decided uh, the the guest I was going to have on this week is hopefully I'm going to be speaking to them next week and decided rather than, you know, coming up with a topic myself that we would do a Q&A session. So putting out a couple of social media posts, I got a lot of questions. I have a lot of great questions. I'm hoping I can cover them all um, in today's show. And the plan for today would be to, you know, cover some of the smaller topics that maybe don't necessarily make up an entire show on their own and try to dive into some of those questions. And I'm sure if you've been on and asked me the question, then there are hundreds of other people that also have the same question. So let's see how how this format goes. It's the first Q&A session. I'm going to try to do it mostly organically as well. I've, I've got the list of questions lined up, but I've done only minimal research uh, on each of these questions. I've done a little bit of thinking about some of them, but trying to keep it as organic as possible rather than I've gone away and researched it and have a scripted answer um, should make for a more interesting show or it could make for a crap show. You'll have to let me know. We'll see how that goes. Before we dive into it, I want to let you know that we have up on the bjjstrength.com website a free ebook on lower back pain so it talks about the six main causes and solutions of lower back pain some of them are going to be you know surprising there's some information in there that maybe you wouldn't have thought about that can be related to lower back pain and i know it can be a huge issue it can be it can be a massive issue with with individuals who train jujitsu you know straining and overworking the lower back often because they've got lack of mobility or weakness in some of the areas of the body um just had a really, really great testimonial from Victoria, who I haven't published this yet on the website, but I'll get it up very, very shortly. She's actually been using the full program that we have for sale up on the website. And she was off jujitsu, I believe, for nine months in total and barely trained. And through following, you know, had, had tried various different approaches to heal her lower back, but by following the program that uh, we have up on the website uh, for the three-moduled 12-week program. She's seen huge changes in how she feels about her lower back and her ability to get um, onto back on the mat again. I'll, I'll publish. I'll publish that on the website hopefully very very soon, so you can see that. But anyway, guys, head over and download that free ebook at the very at the very later at the very least. Or if you've got someone who has any problems with the lower back, send it to them. Right, send them a link. I'm, I'm sure they can benefit from it. But that is my little sales pitch over. Let's get into the show. So first, a huge thank you to everyone that sent in a question for this for this episode. I always get a little bit nervous when I put it out into into the space of social media, and sometimes you know you don't get any feedback on on the content that you put out. But a lot of engagement and a lot of great questions and quite a variation in questions actually so it's it's very interesting for me to see someone who's you know a, a strength and conditioning specialist for for brazilian jiu-jitsu to really get to know some of the problems you're facing and hopefully i can you know 
give you give you some help guys and you know for the people that have asked the questions and for everyone else that's listening so i'm just gonna these are in no particular order i've never done a show like this before and like i said i'm trying to do it organically so i'm gonna start at the top um and this 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 list was just the order i happened to pull it off social media no other reason than that but the first question, well, actually, there's three questions from the same person, but I've broken them down into, into three questions. And it's from Fust Uarium. Apologies, I've never I've never come across that name before. Um, so Fust Uarium is how I'm going to pronounce it. You'll have to correct me. That's my best effort. Um, I'm from Wales, grew up in the UK. I've never come across that name. I hope I haven't done you a disservice. But anyway, Fust. Let's get into the first question. And the question reads, BJJ strength or BJJ power? I'm, I used to do weights uh, twice a week, body weight, deadlift and squat. Oh, sorry, I think it's two times body weight, deadlift and squat. And I've just started BJJ. OMG, the DOMS. I was nearly immobilized the day after drilling hip bumps. I'm starting to think that I should swap out some power lifting for Olympic lifts. What's your observation on power versus strength training for BJJ? You've just posted a power and speed post just below this. I think I was doing some clapping push-ups is the post that he's referenced. So first, I think you know the, the main question here is what's my observation on power versus strength training for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I'm very much of the opinion... Uh, even though I've called my website and, and the podcast BJJ Strength, BJJ Strength is, oh, I, I can't call it BJJ Strength or BJJ Physical Optimization, right? Um, it would be too big. So I, I, I don't focus only on strength. Hopefully that comes out loud and clear from all the content that I put out. It's more physical optimization. So I don't necessarily think that strength is the most important thing, but I do think strength causes not not causes strength forms a core foundation for everything else that we you know that we that we work from in terms of strength and conditioning and physical optimization i think strength is it's only one part of the puzzle but it's 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 critical to everything that we do and you can develop strength in different forms i'm not going to talk about what's the best way to develop strength but my, you know this is about okay what's the import what's your observation on power versus strength training for bjj so how how is you know one more important than the other or should one be more important than the other i think everyone has to have a foundation of strength so an example would be you know being able to squat one and a half times uh, you know, their uh, body weight or one and a half to two times body weight being able to deadlift to um two times body weight been able to bench press their own their own body weight been able to do full you know de- five full dead arm pull-ups been able to do a turkish get-up with about a third of your body weight i'm just rattling off some examples um and don't you know these are just some benchmarks i think i probably should and could spend more time thinking about what would be good targets for a good baseline of strength for each individual because it varies from person to person depending on their background, their lifestyle, their, their their goals we're training. But my point being that everyone should have a general strength over kind of the main movements that we need to perform in jiu-jitsu or in any, in any sport really. And that's going to be 
a squatting motion, it's going to be a hip drive motion, it's going to be core stability, core rotation, upper body push and upper body pull. They're the six broad areas I think everybody can do with being strong in for jiu-jitsu and that should be a good base but you know should you also do then power work on top of that or can you just do power work and not do strength work now there are opinions that doing developing just speed and just power uh, developing speed and power is a better way to develop strength um, than the more traditional build strength first and then go into power work and, and then in, into speed work if you think of a, a general kind of you know a periodized periodized plan but I, I, I think that I'm still of the opinion and I think most people in the strength and conditioning world you know when I you know studied with my qualification it's, it tends to follow that um, that pattern right of strength versus power versus versus speed. And I still think that holds true for most people. And I think cycling between the three is is important. But always coming back to having that foundation in, in, in strength is, is definitely important. But do you need power work? Well, first, if I look at your, your some of the stats that you've given me, if you can already deadlift and squat two times your body weight, then you've already got you know a very solid baseline of strength so if you're not doing power work already i think adding in some power work would would benefit you but i'll try to talk about it a bit you know in 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 general for how it would work with other people i think with with power if you're not an active competitor if you're someone who, who is a hobbyist of jiu jitsu right you work you know, five days a week, you train jiu-jitsu two or three times a week, you, you've got no aspirations of doing, you know, a big, a big world championship tournament at any point in time, you're just happy to get on the mat a few times a week. Your need to have power training within your strength and conditioning is going to be less important for someone who's an active competitor. But I think that for everyone that trains jiu-jitsu, they should do some power or some speed work. And the reason I say this is no matter how much when you train jiu-jitsu, you try to fight a slow game. You try to fight um, you know, a very slow, controlled um, game that just breaks stuff down. There are times that you can't control when you need to move quickly. Maybe you're defending a sweep, you're defending a takedown, you're trying to you know, escape from a certain position. So uh, it's not necessarily to have the power to perform those moves and while you know having having you know being more powerful is going to give you a better sprawl you know, it's going to give you a more powerful hip drive for example if you do kettlebell swings that's not the reason i think most people should do power work i think the reason power or speed work i think the most the reason people should do power and speed work is just to prepare your body for the times that sometimes it needs to move quickly traditionally strength work is done you know with a much slower cadence but when we're training jiu-jitsu and if we suddenly need to move and we haven't prepared our body to move quickly or think about it another way we're only training our body to move very very slowly 
Think less of the performance here, right? If you've got to move quickly and you train your body to move quickly, you're going to react quicker. But take the performance aspect aside. I'm more interested in the injury aspect of things. If your body is only used to moving very, very slowly and then suddenly you ask it to move very, very quickly, this is an opinion and I haven't got research to back this up. But if you prepare your body to move quickly, you're better able, you, you're going to be better able to handle when you do need to move quickly unexpectedly even if it's not part of your game, in jiu-jitsu. And therefore, I think you're less likely to be injured. You know, you're training your body for what it's likely to encounter on the mat is essentially is essentially what I'm saying. And I think that's what all strengthening, sports-specific strength and conditioning comes down to. It's training your body to be better prepared for the sport that you're trying to do. And jiu-jitsu isn't always slow. Sometimes it involves quick movement. And I think having that power in your arsenal is going to be it's going to be good for performance but it's also going to be good i feel for injury prevention and i think that's the most important thing for most people over the long run just my opinion but if we take it more in terms of strength versus power for a competitive athlete then if you compete particularly in the adult divisions um, and particularly in the the lower weight classes. Well, I say the lower weight classes. You look at Marcus Buchecha, right? The ultra heavyweight. He moves. He moves like a lightweight, right? So it's not always necessarily true that being in the heavier weight classes means you're going to be, you know, you're going to be fighting at a slower pace. Definitely not at the top level. But generally, if you're a competitive athlete, I think you need to have that power and speed work as part of your strength and conditioning. You need to have a proper you know, plan in place and you not you don't need to do power work or speed work all of the time. Um, you know, plan it out correctly. If you if you're twelve to twelve weeks or so out from a competition, then you know, maybe the first four weeks is gonna be some general strength work. Um, you know, the the, the it's the very broad, right? But to give you an example the second four weeks is going to be, you know, power work. And then the, th- the third four weeks is going to be more speed work and more specific, uh, you know, movement patterns to jiu-jitsu, just to give you a general idea. But to give you, um, you know, to, un- to answer your question, I think everyone should have a good baseline of strength. And I think everyone should have some element of power training in their strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu. How much you need of either of those depends on you know your lifestyle and your goals with jujitsu. It's going to vary by each person. If you're fairly you know, just a hobbyist, you're not going to need to focus as much on strength work or on power work. But if you're a competitive athlete, then you know having a you know, a better baseline of strength, I believe, is going to be a better foundation for leading into the power and speed work in in a training plan. So that's what I think in terms of power and power and strength. Everyone should have. A little bit of both, but how much depends on the individual and your goals with training. So Foust, I hope that answered your question. Um, I hope it answered the question for other people as well. But I'm going to go into your next one. And this is, uh, again, from Foust. And the question is, I've got a muggy leg from disc injuries and impinged nerves. And I always feel so one-sided. What are my views on unilateral versus bilateral bilateral? exercise program so you know what are my views on you know training one side of the body or one limb versus two sides of the body um or uh, or, or two two limbs uh i want to give you my general views because obviously i don't know all the details of of your injury but i'm a, i'm a huge fan of unilateral training there are very few activities in life 
whether it's you know, jujitsu or otherwise, where we're we're using our body, using both limbs at the same time, or using both sides of the body at the same time. Um, let's 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 use an example, right? If you're doing an arm drag on someone or a collar drag on someone, you're using one limb and you're pulling across the body, right? It's a very one-sided, it's a very one-sided movement. So, I think we need to train our body in a way that we're going to be using it in the sport and for 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 jujitsu. Um, one of the best examples that I like to use for unilateral training is particularly for the legs and. Um, and this may be something Foost, if you haven't tried already, is looking at a lot of single leg, a lot of single leg balance work. I'm a huge fan of uh, single leg balance work and single leg scales where you're planting one the, one foot into the ground very, very solidly and trying to keep almost a straight line up through up through your leg and through your body and then raising the other leg up. Um and you know, doing various different balance exercises when you're in that position maybe you're on a wobble board maybe you're throwing a ball against the wall maybe you've got a resistance band and you're rotating when you're on one leg um i do a lot of you know one leg box jumps or you get people to do do a lot of you know one-legged box jumps as you know just just some examples the turkish get-up is um a unilateral uh exercise well, if you got really technical about the Turkish get-up, maybe you could say it's bilateral in terms of the legs, but it's definitely unilateral in terms of in terms of the upper body. I I would encourage everyone, regardless of um, you know their their training background, um, you know. Well, let, let me let me rephrase that. You know, there could be you know there are definitely cases for someone who's you know completely new to strength and conditioning, um, so they have you know a training age of zero of starting off with more bilateral exercises or if you've got you know very specific impingements that stop you using um, one limb on its own but for most people in most cases I think as much unilateral work as you can do is is the best way forward for jiu-jitsu strength and conditioning and just just in general strength and conditioning because you know we don't uh, we very rarely use um very it's more uh, let me let me rephrase that yes we can use two legs okay yes we can use two legs when we're doing you know guard passing or on top etc or if we're shooting for a takedown but we're not using two legs in uh in, in, in complete symmetry right we're not you know one leg is not in the same position our balance is not equally over one leg versus the other so I think the more unilateral work that we can do or work that places load on more one side of the body versus the other is going to benefit. It's going to benefit everyone regardless of, apart from the exceptions I've just mentioned, but it's going to benefit the vast majority of people in terms of their strength and conditioning. Okay, Foos, this is your last question for today. But again, thank you for getting them in and I hope to hear more from you after this, after this podcast. The, the next thing that you talk about is cramps. Who else gets them whilst rolling? Uh, probably a lot of people. Um, muscular endurance issue or induced by my incompet- incompetent flailing? LOL. Uh, first, I'm guessing maybe you're newer to jiu-jitsu with the incompetent flailing, but that being said, I know a lot of incompetent flailers, even you know higher up through, through the belt ranks. We all flail from time to time. In terms of dealing with the muscle cramps, the first thing I would look at would be hydration and and, and the electrolytes that you're getting uh, when you hydrate. I, I think one of the biggest things I would say is you know making sure you're putting something like uh, you know P 
pink Himalayan salt in your water and you know you're hydrating throughout the day before training during training and after training would be the first thing I would look at in terms of muscle cramps um if you're getting muscle cramps in a particular area I would also look at uh, let's say for example the hamstrings making sure you're doing a lot of myofascial release on the hamstrings um, and working on the hamstring mobility that could be you know a big a big factor to consider um, you know are you doing a lot of lifting maybe you know, before uh, you train or the day before you're training your muscles are you know just tired when you train potentially but the other thing I would look at and Listen to the Breathing Podcast, I believe it's episode 8 with Patrick McCone, if you haven't already, is uh, considering your breathing because, uh, you know, hyperventilation can be a cause of muscle cramps and when we, de- uh, when we deplete too much CO2 from the body, um, that potentially could be a cause and the reason being that CO2 is a natural um, muscle relaxant, uh, relaxant, but for the details in terms of, details specifically in terms of the breathing, Look, look back over that podcast, but that's another thing that I would consider. So, Foost, I think you got about the first 15 minutes of the podcast. Um, so I hope that was helpful. I hope it's helpful for other people. But always, uh, you know, get those questions in and, and thank you for thank you for getting in touch with me. So next, I'm going to move on to a good friend of mine, uh, an old training partner back in the UK, back in the UK Cornell Vleiter or uh, Flighter BJJ, as you'll find him on Facebook. And uh, his his last name is Dutch, I believe. So it's V-L-J-I-T-E-R, I believe it's spelt, um, if you want to look him up. So Cornell's question was around building grip strength when you only have minimal time, i.e. five minutes. He doesn't specify whether it's five minutes a week or five minutes in, in, a, in, a, in a session, but I'm going to go with you've got five minutes a couple of times a week that you can work on grip strength. What's the best way to work grip strength? I do have a full podcast dedicated to grip strength. I forget the, what episode number that is. Maybe I can put it in the show notes. Um, and there's an, there is an article on the website, The Science of, of Building Grip Strength, that talks about the studies I'm going to reference in detail because I want to keep it fairly quick just for this question. But ultimately, what it comes down to is high loads for building grip strength. And that means using loads that you can only hold on to for between 5 to 15 seconds. Once you get that, some studies will say 10 seconds, some studies will say 15 seconds, depends what you look at. But once you get past the range of you can hold on to something for more than 15 seconds, you're getting more into developing muscular endurance rather than strength. And Cornell's question is specifically about grip strength. And the beauty of sticking with the lower uh, timing in terms of the holds that you're going to do to develop grip strength is if you're limited in, in terms of time it doesn't take as much time so you could conceivably do two sets of 15 seconds with one minute rest after each of them of one exercise and then two sets of 15 seconds with one minute rest after each set of another exercise and I'll talk about my favorite exercises in a second and that would be that's five minutes, I believe. If my math is correct, that's five minutes total time. Or after your last set, you can just get out, get out of the gym, right? You don't even need to rest. You're done with your workouts, and maybe it's close to four minutes in terms of the total time. So, and I would suggest doing that. 
I'm a big fan with grip strength of the concept of grease in the groove. Um, because what we're trying to do with developing grip strength is we're not really talking about, you know, the building the muscle per se. You you know, you will develop muscle in the forearm, but it's more about better recruitment of of the muscle and better recruitment of the central nervous system to develop this grip strength. Um, and I think you're yeah, doing little but often so maybe starting off two times a week but even building up to three times a week with some of the grip strength and uh, maybe four times a week is going to be pushing it if you're already doing jujitsu but little and often i found in my experience is a better way to to develop grip strength so you could do five minutes two to three times a week of two sets of 15 seconds of one exercise one minute rest in between each in between each um exercise each set and then 15 seconds one minute rest of the next exercise to total up five minutes but the key comes down to load you should be able to do something for five seconds otherwise it's probably going to be too heavy for you um and you know you don't want to overwork the muscles you don't want to strain anything in the hand and the forearms and uh, particularly when you've got to go and train jujitsu the same day or the next day but it's all about load it's finding the right load that you can hold for between five and 15 seconds and then once you hit that 15 second mark and hit it for you know two to three consecutive workouts then it's time to increase the load to continue developing strength now my two favorite exercises if we're talking about keeping it simple here with only five minutes to train grip strength the first is going to be using what's called in the rock climbing world a rock climbing world is a crimp grip so uh, if take a look at your one of your door frame door frames if you're at home or when you get home so imagine you've got a ledge and sometimes you can use a door frame if it's thick enough a ledge like on top of a door frame that's about half maybe maybe more maybe about three quarters of an inch to an inch uh, deep that's the kind of grip that you're looking for so a very kind of you know thin grip you can you know only only really get the last the last part of your finger the last knuckle the last joint of your finger over and you're re just holding on literally hanging on by your fingertips so that's what a crimp grip would be and then you can place your index finger not sorry place your thumb on top of the index finger uh, right next to the, the the first knuckle so you create that you know a bit more support but you're literally hanging on with just your fingertips so that's the first thing i would i would suggest and i talk about this in the article i uh, built the science of building grip strength when we place pressure on the ends of the fingers it's using you know a very different part of the forearm a very different musculature to when we wrap the the fingers completely around something like we would do with a pull-up bar so the first thing i would suggest is doing that crimp using a crimp grip two sets of 15 seconds one minute rest uh, in between each of those sets start off with two times a week and build up to three three times a week potentially a little bit more after you know uh, you know quite quite some time but the next thing is going to be quite simply hanging off a pull-up bar um you could do it with two hands or you could do it with one hand but it's one of my favorites for for grip strength training but again it comes down to the load don't think you need to do two three four five five minutes keep it very very simple um and just hang off that pull-up bar uh, you, you know maybe go to one hand maybe add weight in between your legs use a weight um not a weight belt but one of those belts you wrap around and you hang the weights off i forget the actual name of them 
to add load so you stay within that 5 to 15 second range. But Cornell, that would be my advice for developing grip strength. You know, very short, very sweet, very simple when you've only got five minutes of time. But the last thing I would say is never really, never, never overdo it um, with, the, with the grip strength training because it's going to really impede your jujitsu the next day. Try and leave a little bit left in the tank. If you can think you can do, you know, 12 seconds, do 10 seconds. You think you can do 10 seconds, do eight seconds, right? Drop off a little bit early, don't really max out. And that's going to help um, maintain a little bit of freshness in those in those grips and forearms for when you go and train jujitsu. So, next question. This is from Matty Green. Matty Green was a guest on the podcast. Uh, I think he was the last guest on the podcast, actually. And Matty's question was, are you trying to pout in this picture? So he's referring to the picture that I posted to announce this Q&A session. And... I said, listen to the podcast to find out. So I'm, I'm true, true, true to my word, Matty. Um, no, I wasn't trying to pout. I was, I was going for my question face, but I wasn't quite sure whether to place my fingers on my chin, on the side of my lip, or you know, or scratch my chin. I wasn't, I wasn't pretty sure. I think I've, you know, gone uh, somewhere in between Derek Zoolander, Blue Steel, and someone who's constipated. <laughs> so I'm not sure but you know it was supposed to be my question face but that's the answer to that question my friend I wasn't trying to pout but there, there you go okay let's get into the next one and this is from Julian Dove uh, and Julian's got a very specific question about a neck injury and having recovering from a neck injury and actually having a disc replacement um, C6 and C6 and C7 two years ago. So Julian, as I said on on Instagram, is that that's I, I'm definitely not a specialist when it comes to you know recovering from neck injuries, and I think I, I don't want to you know overstep my ability to give good advice and give safe advice. That's you know, very very important to me to give safe advice to people over the format of a podcast so I th definitely my, my first piece of, piece of advice is going to be seek out a specialist right that's a very delicate area you've had disc replacement um definitely seek out a specialist right and, and get you know specific protocols from that person but what i want to do is talk generally about neck strengthening and exercises because i think that's 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 a good topic and julian you know you know, please, you know, please listen to a specialist. Maybe you can get something from these ideas as well. But that, my, my first piece of advice is definitely go and speak to a specialist. But um, actually, there's two, there's two questions, right? So the first question is, you know, what would you suggest for neck strengthening exercises? Um, generally, for, for neck strengthening exercises, and I do have a video online where I've talked about uh, you know, building strength in the neck for jujitsu. I think it's very, very important. And I'm have just recovered. No, and I'm actually I'm still rehabbing a neck injury um, personally as well. So this is very close to my heart at the moment. But I think a lot of it is going to be developing developing strength in end ranges of motion with the neck, rather than you know just just developing strength in kind of like a static position. So. 
yes, it's very. It, I think it is good to do various exercises, like where you place a band over your forehead and you press into the band while maintaining a stable position. So a stable uh, position with the spine and with the with the neck and with the head. So you've got pressure on your forehead and you're driving in towards it. That is going to develop strength in the neck. And I, I do recommend a lot of these things. But if we think of, you know, some of the problems that we get with the neck, and I'm good, specifically with the injury that I've just got, a lot of it is when you end up in these kind of, you know, funny, funny positions where you're in a, you know, the very end range of motion and you get rolled and then suddenly the neck pulls. Right, some one of the one of the muscles in the neck in the neck pulls. So I think developing strength and end range of motion is probably going to be very important in general for most people with with neck injuries. And one of the very simple ways that you can do that is, um, I'm you know doing this while talking on the microphone. So apologies, my voice sounds a little bit funny, but you know you can almost pull. Uh, you know, pull your head over to towards your ear. So imagine you pull your head towards your ear. What am I talking about? Pull your ear towards your shoulder. So you're, I'm pulling my left ear down to my left shoulder in this in this situation. So it looks, I, I am stretching the neck, but when I get to the end range of motion, what I want to do is actually push, push into push into the resistance of my hand, and this is getting rather than just stretching the neck out passively I'm, I'm contracting into that and contracting into that resistance and this is going to develop you know strength in that position and you what you'll notice is it's going to increase the range of motion but you're also developing strength at the same time so by you know pressing into that resistance after you know 20 to 30 seconds you're probably going to then be able to increase that range of motion and you can repeat so you contract into the resistance 20 to 30 seconds then you relax and then you increase that range of motion, you repeat, um, and then over time increase that end range of motion and do that in the different positions, uh, you know, of of the head in, in relation to the body. So you're, you're strengthening and stretching the neck at diff and different angles. And I think that's going to be important for, important for most people. Um, because in my experience, that's when most neck injuries happen, right? It's when you get rolled in a funny position. And what's what's going on here is that your, bo your body is getting to an end range of motion. And this happens with, you know, it's not the cause of all injuries, you know, far from it. But the cause of many injuries, when you hit that end range of motion and the body is not strong enough, the body gets scared. Right, and then you know it contracts really, contracts you know really quickly to protect itself, and that's when we pull muscles. That's when we get ourselves injured. So on top of, you know, you're using like for example resistance bands against the forehead, against the side of the head, and you know pressing against that resistance in a static position. I think that's very very important. Trying to develop strength in the end range of motion through stretching, and contract and and, and relax, stretching. Is going to be very very important as well, um, and then, but 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 again, Julian, I I'm not a neck specialist, right? So I'm recommending these in general. Definitely seek out advice from someone um, in relation to are those exercises suitable for you know, for the disc replacement and the disc injury that you've got. But the other thing that I also I also talk about when it comes to um, the, the neck is, you know, a lot of the the stability of the head and holding the head in, in, a, in, a, in a neutral position and the spine in a strong neutral position is doesn't really come from the neck right it comes from you know a lot of the muscles up and down the spine the muscles through the scapula it comes from from our core and the more that the you know 
stronger our supporting structure is, you know, downstream in in the through the back, through the spine, in our core, the stronger you know we're going to be able to hold ourselves in better position when we're training jujitsu, right? So it's not just isolating the neck; it's thinking about the body as a complete system. And I'll I'll link to the video that I've got on YouTube that talks about some of these exercises um, more specifically. So that's some ideas in terms of training. I think you know, not just rehabbing, but prehabbing, right? Protecting you. It's not, you not, can't protect yourself from injury. You can better prepare yourselves to, you know, be less likely, um, to be less likely to get injured in some of these areas. So those are the things that I would consider. And then Julian, your next question is going to be, what would the best positions be for live rolling? Oh, I'm... I, again, I'm hesitant to give you positions that you go away and try when you've got a very specific neck injury. I'm not a neck specialist, okay? Um, but I'll talk about positions that are less likely to put pressure on your neck. And I'm, I'm really approaching this with caution because neck injuries are a serious thing. I would, you know, honestly... I, I think drilling, I, my, that's my first thing, that's my gut instinct to tell you with a neck injury is is to drill, right? Is to um, is to not do live rolling is my gut instinct. Um, and only, you know, you working with someone on a regular basis is going to know, you know, how well you can prepare yourselves. You can prepare yourself for, for live rolling. But then my next, my next thing I would say is when you're live rolling, pick the right people, right? Make sure people know about your injury um, and make sure that I'd suggest picking, you know, very experienced higher belts that know how to avoid certain positions, that know not how not to place pressure on someone in certain positions as well. That would be, you know, a definite, you know, definite piece of, piece of advice. Um you know, recently we had someone coming through our school that had a quite a serious car crash and started training. And, you know, that's what we did, you know, from right from the get go is put the, put this person with higher belts that and they knew the situation with his injuries and his, you know, the, the, the physical problems that, that, that he had and just building it up over time and seeing the position that you're comfortable in. I think, you know, being on top um, you know, being in kind of like a guard passing position on your feet, guard pass, guard passing on your knees can put a lot of pressure on your head and your neck, particularly when you look at an over under pass. Um, but guard passing on your feet um, is, you know, yeah, you've got the opportunity. You could be getting swept and land on your head. Um, it's kind of rare, but it can happen. But guard passing on your feet potentially would be one thing to look at. Being on the bottom, just in general. Um, I feel is more likely to put pressure on your neck, particularly when someone's, you know, putting shoulder pressure on you. Um, but honestly, so it's, it's, it's Julian, it's um, apologies, right? It's really, really hard for me to give you specific positions that you should, you should go into. Um, maybe close guard, you've got a bit more control of, or, you know, with your legs in terms of the pressure, but someone could potentially stack you if you're going for an arm bar. So there's, there are risks, right? There are risks all over it. I would say, um, you know, drill as much as possible right until you feel comfortable that you can go into live rolling, but also um, pick the right people, pick the people and they know cl very clearly what your injury is and just 
build up very slowly and test out positions very, very slowly and see how you go. Um, again, apologies, Julian. I wish I could give you more specific advice, but I'm really just trying to approach this with caution because I don't want to overstep my mark and give you some advice that I, I you know I don't. I'm not a specialist in neck in neck injuries. Um, I don't want to. I think it would be a disservice. Uh, to you if I was to give you some wrong advice uh, the wrong advice and then you get injured but maybe there are a couple of things in there in uh, in terms of I hope I hope right there are a couple of things in there that help you in terms of your approach for training so good luck with that and let me know let me know how you get on let me know what advice you find as well I, I, I'm always interested to learn right next question so this next question comes from Morteza21 that's his Instagram name I couldn't find his full name up on Instagram, we're having a, a couple of com- couple of conversations actually, and one of his questions was, "Is the training mask helpful?" So, guys, if you haven't seen it, the training mask is this. Um, it's a, a mask, a mouthpiece, I should say, that you put over your mouth and your nose, and it's got these two big white knobs that plug into the mouthpiece that allow you to vary the resistance of how much air you're able to get in and also how much air you're able to get out through um you know through the, through the breathing mask it's i think most of you are going to view it at the training mask right but i thought i'd say that just in case but the question you know is it helpful um you must have seen some of the videos i put up recently where i use the training mask Do you know what i've never recommended it uh when i've been when i work with clients i've never recommended it to people and my honest opinion is that um I, I like I, there's a lot of stuff that I test out a lot of stuff I like to experiment with that I don't always talk about online and I definitely don't recommend you know with clients until you know I've tested it out thoroughly myself and I think it's something that's worthwhile or there's a lot of you know there's a lot of research um and you know a lot of backing in terms of how something could work and yes there is research behind the training mask um and some of some of the effects some of the impacts of it but it's it's not it's not something for me that i found i have i found helpful how have i found it helpful maybe let's answer this question in this way how, how have i found it helpful i found it helpful in that it did make me nose breathe more or it does make me nose breathe more when i use it it does it definitely makes it harder to breathe right there's no there's no doubt about that so I think that it puts a kind of a psychological pressure on you and forces you in some ways to think more consciously about your breathing, um, particularly breathing through the nose. And you can definitely feel it being harder to breathe. So it forces you to train in a more efficient way. You know, absolutely. It's putting resistance on the on the breathing muscles. Um, you know, for example, the diaphragm. So, you know, strengthening the diaphragm is a very important um is a very important aspect i think of, of any training particularly for jujitsu but uh, i know this is a bit of a half a bit of a half-assed answer because i'm you know kind of 50 50 on it as, as a train as a training method i honestly i prefer some of the breath restriction draining um the the oxygen advantage method that you know i talked about with patrick mccone i believe it was, i believe it was on episode eight i'm, I'm big i'm a bigger fan of that um and the reason being is that though the oxygen advantage type breathing uh, techniques are a much better 
for developing, um, for increasing the amount of CO2 in the body and therefore developing CO2 tolerance. And again, listen to the breathing podcast. I won't cover the details on this on this episode because it'll get it'll become too long-winded. But that I've tested this myself, right? I've tested it with an oxygen saturation monitor using the breathing mask and also using the oxygen advantage restricted breathing methods. And while it's much, much harder to breathe with the training mask, I feel the muscles working harder. When I've then tested my oxygen saturation versus um, uh, doing similar exercises but using restricted breathing, my oxygen saturation and therefore my let my some think about it in terms of co2 my levels of co2 are much much lower using the training mask than when using the oxygen advantage breathing techniques so i'm not building up as much of a resistance to to, to co2 um is my is my opinion on the training mask the other thing with the training mask is sometimes i feel like it can force you to over breathe so you know breathe a little bit too much with the chest um, because you've got to work so much harder rather than doing more controlled breathing techniques that you would do with the oxygen advantage. And the reason I think that's really important is that if we're, if we're constantly breathing from the chest when we train, we're, constant, we get, we're more likely to breathe from the, the chest day to day and we're more likely to breathe from the chest when we train jiu-jitsu. And diaphragmatic breathing, breathing from the, from the stomach, from the belly, uh, again, I've talked about this so much, so many times, um, and you know, please listen to episode eight with Patrick McCone. Um, but breathe, uh, so I won't talk about why you know diaphragm breathing is so important again here. But it's just it is a much you know better way to breathe. You get more oxygen into the lungs. You use you use you use more of the lungs. It's more of a relaxed type of breathing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's you know that's my um, that's my opinion for um, for the train mask. So take it as you will i'm a little bit 50 50 on it um which is why i've never really recommended it to to clients and so morteza 21 you do have one other question which is how important is strength for bjj and that's kind of, it was kind of covered in the first question from foost but i'll add a couple more points about how important strength is for bjj i think everybody should have a base of strength and i think everybody not even if you don't train jiu-jitsu we can look at all of the benefits of strength training in terms of improved bone density improved muscle mass improved um uh, you know uh, hormone production improved lean mass etc etc uh you know grip strength is linked to actually living longer you know maintaining uh, maintaining or improving strength i think is just a big factor in uh, living a healthy happy life right just in general and then when you tie that into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then, you know, having, first and foremost, right, Jiu-Jitsu technique is always more important than strength. But having strength allows you to perform the technique that you do learn more effectively. And strength is also, you know, a huge factor in, in injury prevention. Um, and it's a huge factor in terms of improving performance. There are no, sure, I'm sure somebody's going to give me an example, but there are almost no arguments that I have seen for why adding a good strength program, and we're talking about strength specifically, you're not power and speed, but just strength training, but having a good strength program, why it would hurt 
for training jiu-jitsu or for any sport in that matter. Yes, there is. There's always the example of, well, Marcelo, Marcelo Garcia just did jiu-jitsu. Okay, that's Marcelo Garcia. I know I'm not Marcelo Garcia. I know a lot of us are not Marcelo Garcia, right? So, you know, he's the exception rather than the rules. We shouldn't base our training based on the exceptions. When we look at all of the top competitive athletes today, I, I looked at this about a year ago, and when I looked at the ranking of the top 10 male black, black belt athletes, nine out of 10 of them, there was there was evidence, definite evidence you know, online of them doing strength and conditioning to supplement their jiu-jitsu. So if it's good enough for the top um, the top athletes in the sport, it should be good enough for you as well. But the other thing I think it's important to answer about how important is strength for BJJ it also depends on the individual and depends on your goals for jiu-jitsu. I think you know, technique and training jiu-jitsu should always be the main priority and we should always be thinking about how the strength training is going to complement our jiu-jitsu but if we look at someone who is a hobbyist versus someone who's a competitive athlete and you know even if you're a competitive athlete how much time do you have to train do you train full-time or do you also have a job all of these factors are gonna impact how much you should and also how much you could strength train for jiu-jitsu so Hopefully that answers in a bit more context your question and over and above some of the stuff we talked about uh, with Foost. But anyway, let's get on to let's get on to the next one. And guys, apologies if I've spent maybe more time on some questions versus others. I'm not trying to you know play favourites here. I, I love all you guys and I love all I love the fact that all of you have sent in questions. It's just you know naturally I'm just trying to do this as organically as possible. So. Don't get offended, is what I'm trying to say. So now this is going into uh, meal planning ideas. So this question comes from Ill Jits Player or George Villalobos. Uh, George, I don't think I've ever tried to pronounce your last name um, or Villalobos. So apologies if I've got this right, and I say that to George because he's uh, he's a training partner of mine here in here in Temecula. And he's asking for meal planning ideas for gaining strength and size. Now, George, I'm not sure if I want to give this to you because, you know, I think at the moment the, the only reason I, you know, beat you half of the time is because I'm bigger than you because uh, you're, you're pretty damn technical. So if I tell you how to get bigger and stronger, I might take away some, some of my advantages. But that's not the kind of guy I am. I do. I want to I help you. I want to help you out. So you, you've asked about meal planning ideas. I think the first thing that you need to consider about gaining strength and gaining size is uh, is going to be the actual training itself, right? Anyone can gain size, right? That's you know for you to for you to just put on weight, I could just tell you to eat you know McDonald's five times a day, right? That's gonna allow you to put on weight, but you want to put on quality weight. Um, so the first and foremost is going to be having the right strength and conditioning program in place. Um, you know if we're talking about developing you know, prioritizing strength um, and only adding a little bit of mass, then, you know, you can, depending on, you know, how much strength and conditioning you already do, I know you you do strength train already, but, um, you know, just for people in general, if you haven't got that much experience in strength and conditioning, then, you know, sticking to, you know, three sets of three, three to five sets of three to five reps or, you know, a weight that you can do for three to five reps for three to five sets, and then increasing that weight over time as you hit that rep and set range 
is you know the the, the typical standard for developing strength um and you know just by doing strength work on your own you are going to build um you know increase increase your muscle mass right you will you will increase your muscle mass but you know over time the more experienced you are going to, you, you are um i think you you're probably going to get less gains over just the strength work so you know then if you're thinking about developing uh, you know size then you want to get into more of the 6 to uh, you know 6 to 10 um you know maybe more 6 to 8 or 9 reps uh, i haven't got my Sorry, I very very rarely focus on you know building muscle, so I forget the exact number off the top of my head. I'd need to look up the chart, but I think the typical is you know six to six to about eight reps. Um, and key is time under tension as well. So a very kind of you know a slow cadence of you know two seconds up and down, two seconds sorry two seconds down, two seconds up, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know more push into failure on the last couple of couple of sets for developing for developing size or building you know building muscle mass. So, you know, you need to have the right program in place, first of all. I'm, I'm skirting over a lot of the details here because your question about, is about meals. Um, but first and foremost, have the right program in place is what I would say. But then if we go into specifically about how you eat to develop strength and size, first, first thing would be uh, protein, right? You're going to need to have... You know, in you know, get enough intake of quality protein from, um, you know, for the for the growth and repair of the muscle tissue that you're going to be breaking down through this training, and you know, a, a good standard is going to be one and a half for for someone who's you know training jujitsu and doing strength strength and conditioning, one and a half to two grams of protein per kilo of body weight per day, so. I weigh, I'm gonna, I don't weigh 100 kilos, but if I did weigh 100 kilos, that would be between 150 grams and 200 grams of protein per day. That's gonna be, you know, one, you know, very, 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 very important thing. Um, but the the next thing I'm gonna say is looking at eating for hormone optimization. So it can be maybe more important, right? Maybe more important than you know some of the other factors uh, in terms of your overall calorific uh, intake but looking at you know foods high saturated fat um from good sources so you know um, grass-fed beef would be one example grass-fed butter um organic eggs uh, it doesn't you know, it doesn't have to be those sources but the closer you are to those kind of sources the better it is going to be from you um but you know don't think just getting your you know, saturated fat from mcdonald's or kfc is going to be a good idea you know good whole protein um or fat sources saturated fat is very very important in hormone production and hormone production is very very good in you know muscle muscle growth and, and in development so that's going to be one factor i probably should do a podcast i think at some point i need to research it in more detail about hormone optimization um but avoiding avoiding too much you know sugar which can spike your insulin levels or um you know refined sugar absolutely but you know stuff from uh, your fruit for example um you know try to save those kind of you know high sugar food sources for that you know two hour window two to three hour window just after you finish training i think is going to be 
a better way for you to be consuming that sugar and try to avoid eating or drink or drinking absolutely avoid drinking sugar as much as possible but take particularly outside though that two or three hour window after your after your training um so you know because too much sugar spikes insulin levels which is counterproductive to hormone production so that's another thing that you want to you definitely want to avoid so i think those are uh, there's, there's a lot there are a lot of other factors in there in terms of hormone production but they are two two of the main ones in terms of avoiding sugar and getting enough saturated fat in and we've talked about protein intake um but the other thing is going to be uh you know meal frequency okay um Honestly, I think it's a bit it's a bit of a myth that you have to eat every two to three hours to to increase size. Um, I, I think it, it it's an it's an absolute myth. I think it's also a bit of a myth, and research has shown this in terms of the anabolic window of you know you've got to eat after a you know right after you train to to hit that on anabolic window you know there maybe there are percentage point differences and maybe if you're looking to be a competitive bodybuilder then you need to eat every two hours and you have to eat immediately after you train because you're talking about very small percentage points of difference but if you're a jiu-jitsu athlete and you're looking to add strength and size for performance i think meal frequency is less important than the total amount of calories that you get in per day and George, maybe you you and I can speak offline. We'd need to look at you know your actual your mass today and kind of a recommended calorific intake. But I would I would suggest a good way to go for anybody really is look at okay, how much do I weigh today? I've got the right training plan in place. I'm you know I'm getting enough protein in. I'm optimizing my eating for hormones. Um, uh, one other quick thing on hormone production, right? Cruciferous veg is very, very important. It's shown to be very important in hormone production. So, uh, you know, eat eating plenty of kale, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, etc. I wanted to throw that in there. It's another one I remembered. But um, we've talked about fat. We've talked about protein. Yes, you're going to need. Uh, I believe. You know, I think carbohydrate is is a keto is a big thing at the moment but if we're talking about you know a lot of jiu-jitsu training a lot of strength training and, and building size i think adding carbohydrate in there or main keeping carbohydrate in there is going to be very very important um but you know how much carbohydrate should you consume how many calories how many grams of carbohydrate should you you consume we can break it down based on your weight we can break down how many calories but i think in general you know okay adding enough protein making sure you're getting fat from the right from the right sources and then looking at okay i train for a week i i meet him i'm monitoring my weight i'm you know measuring i'm measuring if you're talking about building size you know take your measurements right measure the thigh measure the upper arm measure the chest measure the waist um and look at those measures and i think a better way to do it is just gradually adding in calories through the day adding in more carbohydrate adding in more fat and if you, you should already have enough protein in there and just you know I'm, I'm less of a fan of here's a meal plan that you follow and this is exactly what you have to eat as because it's a slow process right it's not going to happen overnight it's something that's going to happen over you know three four five six months and i think doing it gradually is 
is a much more sustainable way to do it. And you've just got to measure, right? You've got to measure your, the measure, measure your size and also measure your weight and look at, okay, am I adding in? Am I, am I increasing, right? Am I, imp- am I improving? Am I getting bigger? Am I getting stronger? Um, so, I, I, George, I don't know if this answers your question. I feel, I feel like I've waffled a little bit on that one. But the biggest thing comes down to, you know, your, if your goal is to increase strength and size, then are you increasing strength and size? And yes, you can really, you know, just start stuffing your face. But, you know, eating all of that food takes quite a big toll on the digestive system, right? And it can be, it can be bloody hard work. But adding in, you know, over time, you know, gradually increasing, you know, each week, you know, maybe just start, start off by adding about, you know, 250 calories to your daily, daily food intake. Um, and, you know, calories is, oh God, we can get into a whole debate about calories, right? It's about, you know, the quality of the calorie is more important than the calorie itself. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's still a good general measure to know how much, you know, food you're consuming. But try to add in, you know, about 250 calories per day, maybe for the first week and see how that goes. Um, measure it for the first week or two and see if see if your numbers are improving. Um, if you're not, if you're not gaining size and you, and you, then, you know, add maybe another 100 to 200 calories in per day and just gradually do that. And I think it's a better way to work it out for yourself rather than say, right, this is exactly what you need to eat. Um, George, I hope that helps, but let's, you know, we train together, let's you and I speak and we can get into, get into the details a bit more. Right. Getting on to the next question. Now, this question is from Sasan, and his question was, BJJ is a percent of phosphate, lactic acid, and aerobic, question mark. And I asked him to clarify, but, you know, he he apologized. He said written English is not, English is not his first language, so written English, he said, you know, wasn't brilliant. So, so Sam, what I think you were trying to ask, and I hope this is kind of, you're going to ask, um, going to answer the question is, what percentage of time is spent in the three main energy systems for jujitsu? So you've got the ATP system, the glycolytic system, or the oxidative system. So, um, you know, he's using different terms, phosphate, lactic acid, and aerobic. It's the same as ATP, glycolytic, and oxidative. I think that's what you're asking, Sasan. That's how I'm going to answer um, the question is, you know, what percentage of time are you spending in the three main energy systems when training BJJ? Uh, if not, let me know, but hopefully this is going to be useful. So when we're talking about the three energy systems, so you've got the ATP system, which is, you know, very high intensity movements, short burst, short burst movements, so, you know, very short duration, um, you know, something like a power clean, would be using the ATP system. Then you've got glycolytic, uh, which is the moderate uh, moderate intensity and moderate duration. So I, th- I think it's up to about 60 seconds, um, or exercises you can do for up to about 60 seconds. So let's say, you know, press-ups, doing say 20 push-ups, or you know, maxing out on your push-ups, you'd be in the glycolytic energy system. And then you've got the oxidative system, which is very low intensity, longer duration. So oxidative is going to be um, uh, yeah, going for a run, right? Going for a, you know, going to run three miles, going to run, you know, five miles, whatever the case may be, going for a swim, going for a cycle. And, you know, it's you're not always just in one of these systems, but 
I suppose a better way to think about it is you're in predominantly using one of the three main energy systems based on the intensity of the exercise you're doing. So what percentage of time are we spending in these energy systems when we train jujitsu? I read a very interesting time and motion study. It's about 12 months ago now, so I forget, I forget the title. And it looked at black belt, 10 minute, um, so black belt, black belt adult competitive fights. And what they found was that only about two minutes of the fight were spent in you know in a level of high activity of you know high high speed movement they didn't break it down between you know short high intensity bursts versus moderate intensity but about two minutes of the fight out of 10 minutes so let's say it's about 20 percent about 20 percent of the time was spent spent in high activity and the other eight minutes were spent in low activity and also what they also said, it, it's not two minutes flat out. It tends to be, say, you know, five, 10 seconds of high activity, then 45 seconds of slower activity, five, 10 seconds of high activity, 45 seconds of, of lower activity. And, you know, that matches very closely with my experiences. It varies from match to match, but whether I'm competing or whether I'm training, today I did about 10 rounds of 10 rounds of rolling and, you know, you start off on your feet first 30 seconds is you grip fighting you're moving around it's very low activity right um well at least with the way i fight and i think the way most people fight then one of you goes for a takedown so if you shoot a takedown um or then you sprawl and defend that takedown then you're in that you know high intensity activity maybe then you're using more of the kind of the atp system um but then you get into it you know you're then you for that quick very you know two or three seconds or it's less than two or three seconds right a quick shot a quick sprawl but then you kind of you know there's more of a tussle i want to say tussle tussle is a terrible word to use you're grappling right there's you know, you're more aggressively grappling with someone maybe you sprawl and you circle to the back so then you're, you're it's still you know higher moderate intensity activity but it's not flat out right well the thing you need to think about with the atp system it's very high intensity you can probably only ever do about you know maybe up to 10 seconds um or you know four or five repetitions maybe even less right depending on how high intensity you're doing for you know for the using the atp system most of the activity we're going to be doing or, or doing the high movements in jiu-jitsu we're going to be using the glycolytic system it's gonna it's gonna bridge between two between the two but i would um you know i would say in terms of the percentage of time spent in each using each of these energy systems in jiu-jitsu if we were going to break it down so we know that about 80 percent based on this time and motion study is going to be low level of activity so you're going to be in the oxidative system and that's going to be whether you're you're at rest or whether you're, you're doing low low intensity activity then you've got the question of okay how much time am i spending working with the atp system or the glycolytic system most mostly it's going to be it's going to be the glycolytic system um and then a much smaller percentage think about it right when you know how often if i think about my personal experience and all of the all of the training that i've done all of the fights that i've watched how many times in a round let's say you do a five minute round of sparring how many times do you do an almost all-out intensity movement it's not that it's not that often 
you know, yes, with some, you know, you know, you shoot a quick takedown really, really quickly. You sprawl the defender. It happens. It's definitely there. It's absolutely there. But where, but most of the time is going to be spent between the glycolytic and oxidative, oxidative, oxidative system. So we we already know it's about eighty percent oxidative, and then the other twenty percent. I'm this is you know just an estimate. It'd be really interesting to do, to do a study on this. But God, I'm going to say maybe two to three percent is you know spent in you know, using in the uh using the atp energy system and the rest of it so let's call it 17 to 17 to 18 percent is going to be using the glycolytic system that's my guess at it so sasan um i hope that answers the question that was in a great question actually a really interesting one to think about and hopefully um i haven't talked about because i want to get through these other questions but you know, it would be an interesting thing to think about then. You know how you apply that to your training, which which I do. You know, with my clients and all the advice that I give. But um, maybe I can do um, dive into that in a bit more depth another time. But anyway, I hope that was helpful. Okay, uh, the next one is like this is from Jamie Bagan. What are some stretches I can do for my feet? Forever getting bad cramps. Okay, so we've talked about cramps already. So I hope you've picked up some advice from that. But specifically in terms of the stretches that you can do, two things jump to mind. I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. The first thing is going to be self-massage on the feet and on the bottom of the feet. One of my favorite things to do is to get a PVC pipe. Um, it's about three inches across. Um you know, doesn't the, the size is less important, but about three inches across. And I will, I'll hold on to something that's very stable, like, a, you know, a squat rack. And I will stand, first of all, one foot, get stable, then I'll stand on the other foot. And I'll roll back and forth on the, so I'm, all my weight is coming down through my feet onto this PVC pipe. And if you've got a lot of tightness there, this is going to suck. This is really going to suck at the start. Do you know what? Let me let me give you another piece of advice. Don't jump on with two feet at the start. Let's do it this way. Put one foot on and then you know gradually drive off the other foot and put more pressure onto the foot that's on top of the PVC pipe. And just start from the heel and slowly work your way slowly up right to the knuckles of the you know, right to the first joint of the toe. Um and the key with this is going to be, you know, do it slowly. I've seen so many people that will do self-massage and they just roll over really quick and nothing really happens. So you've got to allow, the whole point of, of self-massage is enough pressure going into the tissue and that tissue is fighting against the pressure. It's contracting, it's contracting, it's contracting and then it releases, right? Because we can only hold a contraction for so long. So that's why it works. So you've got to hold it in that spot. And just my, my, my advice would be just to go back and forth gently, just literally, right? you know, quarter of an inch, just rock back and forth and feel that. And when it, when you feel it release and that pressure go away, then just mo then move across the foot a little bit, a little bit further. I do that, God, several times a week. I, I normally have, actually I have a, I'm looking down from my desk. I've got a big pebble I got from the beach and my daughter gave it to me from the beach actually. And I'll use that as well. You can use a little cross ball, a tennis ball. There's other things that you can use. I like the PVC pipe. And just, you know, put the pressure on there and find those tight spots and slowly just work it out. 
um, that's that's brilliant for the feet. And yeah, you know, I actually um, quick plug. You know, one of the things I recommend, you know, as part of all the foot strength work that happens in the lower back pain program, you know, you know, when you're using and working your feet a lot, you can get a lot of tension in there. So massaging at the bottom of the feet is a great way to go. The next thing I would do would be to get onto a step, put one foot hanging off the step and keeping your leg fairly straight in this instance, just drop the heel off the back of the step so imagine you've got um, you know just the knuckles and the joints of your toes on the step and the rest of your foot is hanging off and you then use that to stretch out the foot and just sink into it hold it for two or three minutes uh, you know support yourself with you know holding on to something and just just after you've done the massage as well when the, the tissue is already supple and just stretch out your feet and they would be my they would be my they would be my go-to um for the feet for stretches but what what i would also say is do some foot strength work you know maybe the reason that you're you're getting you're getting foot cramps is because the because everything's getting tired within the feet and the feet are not strong enough so do some you know single leg balancing work is going to be very very interesting for you and um, maybe some yeah, skipping or jump jumping rope i think as you guys call it here in the u.s but there's another exercise called the short foot exercise. So short as in, you know, someone who is short foot. So Google short foot exercises and you'll see what I mean. But what you're trying to do is imagine you're standing up and you're trying to grip the ground with your toes and curl your toes in towards you. So the arch on your foot really increases and do that on one foot for about two minutes and do it on the other foot for another two minutes it's a great way to act at to activate activate the feet and really strengthen the feet so that could be a factor so uh, jamie i would give that a go and i hope i hope those things help particularly the, P the pvc pipe one is great it's gonna suck at start if you've got a lot of tightness in there but uh, it feels really good it's like uh, giving yourself a foot massage because no because nobody wants to touch my feet i can tell you that for free Okay, right, the next one comes from Eric. Eric uh, Vilches? Eric, Eric's my neighbor, so I feel really bad that I can't pronounce his second name. Um, guys, I feel really bad I can't pronounce a lot of people's names, but you know, I grew up in the UK, I haven't come across some of these names in the past, but Eric's my neighbor, but you know, you meet your neighbor and you never really talk second names or surnames, right? It's all first name basis. Um, so Eric, I appreciate the question, and Eric's questions were twofold. First was, will we ever have a workout session together? Absolutely we will. I don't know when we're gonna do it, we'll have to chat. We'll have to chat and get that on the cards, my friend, because we've both, Eric and I both have these really cool home gym set up in the garage, so we'll have to give each other a work, um, you know, a workout session, that'll be good. That'll be good fun sometime, but the other question was, how did you get involved in BJJ and breathing techniques? Oh God, I, you know, I've told the story about how I got involved in BJJ quite a few times. So I won't bore people with too many of the details. I'll do it very, very quickly. And then I'll talk about the breathing. So I, I was at university at the time. This was in 2007. And around this time, the UFC had just started becoming you know 
fairly popular in the UK. You know, it had been around for a little bit longer. People knew about it, but this is when it became a bit more mainstream and, uh, and a bit more popular. I'd been watching it for a couple of months and just was really drawn, drawn by it. Kind of knew what Jiu-Jitsu was. I don't think they called it Jiu-Jitsu at the time. Um, but, you know, just like the whole concept of MMA. Then a friend of mine a couple of months later said, oh, let's go to... Uh, Let's go to this place called Leicester Shoot Fighters, which is where you know Leicester is where I went to university. And Leicester Shoot Fighters has produced some some really good some really good fighters. You know, a few fighters have trained there and gone through the UFC. Um, you know, Dan Hardy was you know, training there on quite a few occasions when I was there. Um, not that I not that I knew Dan right. I was just some some um, some guy that had just started, but. Yeah, we went to, you know, we went to Leicester Shoot Fighters. I was quite interested in it. And I did a couple of strikes. I think I did three striking classes and then started doing, you know, grappling um, and loved it, right? I was like, well, forget, forget getting punched in the face. I'm just going to grapple. This is a lot more fun. So yeah, I, that's that's how I got into jujitsu in about 2007. And then when I left university and moved to London at the end of 2007, I went to, to, to found... Um, an academy that wasn't too far from my office. It was one of the Hodger Gracie academies. I had no idea who Hodger Gracie was, and you know the rest is the rest is history, right? Here I am, eleven years later, still training um, now with you know the Carlson, Carlson Gracie team, right? It's all worked out really well for me. So that's why I got involved in BJJ. Um, but how did I get involved in breathing techniques? Yeah, I I don't know. Right, I really, I, I do not know how I got involved in breathing techniques. There is no one story, there is no one moment that's got me involved in breathing. Um, I can't pinpoint things. The only thing that I can think of is that I got into meditation oh, almost about the same time as I got into jujitsu. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit later. So I got into got in got into meditation and almost all meditation practices or not all but you know quite a large portion of meditation practices focus on nose breathing so you know maybe that was it maybe that's what got me interested in into the in 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 breathing techniques and thinking about nose breathing and then naturally as i talked about it more in jujitsu you start to you know anecdotally hear about you know how to breathe when you train and i think it's just exploration from there and you know research and looking at stuff and that's it really so i don't have there's a less interesting story of of how i got into breathing techniques eric but we'll get that workout session in very soon my friend we need to get mats uh we've got so it's kind of i'm going on a tangent this may be interesting for people it may may not you know maybe fast forward but i myself then my neighbor next to me who trains jiu-jitsu uh guy called paco and then eric trains i live next to paco um between the three of us we always talk about getting mats we need to get mats eric and paco if you're listening so let's make that a goal for 2019 we will get mats between us and we will train jiu-jitsu because i know your work schedules make it hard for you to get to get to class sometimes i'd love to love to train with you guys okay let's go into the next question mac mcginnis and i wanted to read out his handle from instagram because i thought it was very uh, it was pretty cool the well red neck I thought that was quite cool. Mac, I like that. Uh, Your question. Do you have any students who work construction or some other non-sedentary job that puts a lot of wear and tear on the body? 
what are their workouts like? How do you supplement their jujitsu without being so sore that work is miserable the next day? Um, that's a great question. Yes, you know, I do have do have students um, that work construction or non sedentary jobs. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's a it's a good question and it's an interesting one to tackle. I think what we you need, whenever you're training, whenever whenever I'm putting together a program for someone, you need to look at the entire lifestyle. You can't just look at, okay, you want to get strong, therefore this is the best way to get strong. This is the protocol that you need to follow. Um, I'm very aware that the vast majority of people that train jiu-jitsu and it's got to be a good 97 to 98% of people have jobs on on top of their jujitsu. Jujitsu can feel like a job sometimes. It can feel like a full-time thing. But, you know, many people have got wife, wives and kids or husbands, partners, um, work commitments if you haven't got wives and partners, etc., etc. And if you've got a very physical, a very demanding job, or a job that works, you know, where you have to get up really in the morning, really, really early in the morning, where you're working night shifts. All of that needs to be taken into consideration. It's all wear and tear on the body, wear and tear on the body, as you say. So, you know, how do you how do you take that into consideration if you've got a very physical job? You're also training jujitsu and you're doing strength and conditioning. I think, it, you know, it all comes down to uh, how much can you recover from. Right, different people are going to recover from from training at, at different rates, so recovery is is a very very important um, aspect of it. I've done did I do a podcast on recovery? I've got an article on recovery up on the website. You know, correct hydration, enough sleep, reducing your stress levels, good nutrition. You know, refueling after workouts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But specifically in terms of the workouts, I think that's what you're really interested in, Mac. Is that I would focus, I focus a lot less on, you know, big, heavy lifts with too many reps and too many sets. Um, and I would focus, you know, also thinking of, you know, some kind of squat in motion, a lot of kettlebell swings and, you know, trying to really push the person in that respect. I would look at more, um, you know, joint mobility and joint stability, a lot more core strength work, a lot more rotational work. I, th I think about it in terms of, you know, activating the muscle that you have rather than building new muscle for someone in that in, in that kind of job also training jiu-jitsu. It's, it's a lot less demanding and taxing on the body. It can still be taxing and demanding, don't get me wrong. But uh, you know, the kind of, uh, let me give you a few examples, right? What I mean about joint stability, joint mobility, core strength, etc. So we talked about unilateral work as, um, as one example. So uh, we talked about unilateral work but you're specifically about single leg balancing. I'm doing this now as I'm talking here in my office. So standing on one leg and doing a single leg scale. So literally just holding this position where my left leg at the moment is dead straight. I'm locking out the, the quad. I'm squeezing my glutes. I'm almost it's like I'm trying to drive my leg away from my body. My hips are in line. Chin is tucked, rib cage is down, and my other leg is up and straight as high as I can, holding that for a minute. 
that's going to be, you know, that's fantastic for developing stability through the ankle, through the knee, through the hip. Um, and developing strength, not through, you know, not through lifting heavy weights, not through squatting, but just activating, right? Activating the neural pathways that we need to recruit for performing various movements. So that'll be one example. Another example will be something like a Cossack squat, but making sure you're doing the Cossack squat with, um, you know, very, very good, you know, strong core position, rib cage down, chin tucked, and just incre and increasing that end, end range of motion and really when you when you get down when you get down to the bottom of that movement really contracting into it so you're developing strength in you know in the end range of motion so it's very much looking at what are the things that are going to keep you keep you healthy and this this is something something that came out of the podcast with Marty Green that I had on the other week and when I asked him about what his biggest biggest goals are most important goals are when he's training fight athletes it's to get them to the fight healthy and I think that's should be the biggest goal for someone you know if you're asking for yourself or asking for someone else mark if you've got something like a construction job it's just keeping healthy and looking after your body so i would think about it in terms of uh, you know strength through you know better activation and recruitment of the neural pathways rather than strength through through you know, ever ever increasing load um that you're, that you're, you're putting on your body uh, you know, another really, really good example would be something like uh, hanging on, hanging on a pull-up bar, but rather than just hanging on a pull-up bar, you release one arm and you try to lock and hold in a stable position, so you don't start suddenly swinging wildly. So your shoulder blade is pulled down and back, your rib cage is down, holding that for a second too, and then under control, moving across and holding onto onto the other arm. So it it's you're not doing a pull in motion per se but you're developing strength and stability through through the shoulder through the elbow um through you know through the scapula that's going to apply a lot to pulling strength without putting the stress on your body of doing pulling strength movements and yes you know pulling pulling strength is going to be very very important but i think the point i'm trying to make here is you know developing strength and developing healthy joints i think healthy joints is going to be very very important for you know looking after your well, not the think it don't, i don't think it is it is right developing healthy strong joints is very important for looking after the body and for also performance on the mats you don't have to develop strength and strength in those areas just by lifting and moving weights you can also do a lot of static positions that are you know just holding a handstand against a wall right incredible for developing strength in the upper body without actually doing a handstand push-up all of these things you can do top you know doing um a lot of straight arm strength work just holding you holding yourself in position on a pair of gymnastic rings that are great for developing strength but um place a lot less load and stress on the body than actually moving yourself through space or moving an object through space so that's you know one way to one way to think about it but another way to to, to look at it and because i still think you still need to be you know moving your body and moving objects through space to develop you know good strength and good good strength for jujitsu is just really reducing down the number of reps that you do and allowing yourself you know leaving a lot in the tank so we talk a lot about or i talk a lot about if you're Let's say you're you can do five reps of a certain weight or five reps of a certain exercise. 
maybe only doing four. If you've got a very high demand job, doing a physical job, maybe only do two reps if you go to five. So do two to three reps of just two reps. So you come out of the workout feeling fresh rather than beaten up. So you re, you know, you re, you're, you're going to still going to develop strength um, by working out that way, but it's a lot less taxing on your system. You're giving your body a lot less to recover from. So I hope that gives you a couple of ideas of you know how you can introduce a strength and conditioning program for someone who's got a non-sedentary job, and that's that's what, how I've you know worked with people in the past. But a lot of it is adding stuff in very very slowly, not beasting people right at the start, and seeing what you're able to recover from. You know, don't don't max out. Definitely avoid maxing out. You know, it's okay to, to lift heavy, but don't go for one rep max is absolutely not. Think about working within a, a, a weight that you can do about, or an exercise you can do about five times, but do, you know, two, two reps, do three reps. Leave a lot left in the tank and, and only do two to three sets rather than the more traditional three to five. And I think it's going to complement, should complement everything you do a lot better than a more traditional approach. I hope... I hope that helps. I hope that's answered the question. Okay, um, next one. This next one is from John Rex. And it's, I think it's a very easy one to answer, but a great question and nonetheless. I think it's an easy question for me to answer um, in terms of the way I look at strength and conditioning for jujitsu. The question is, which would you prioritize, grip or core strength? Hands down, 110% core strength. The benefits that you get from core strength are so broad in terms of performance benefits, how you're going to move on the mat, your ability to generate power, um, also injury prevention. You know, core strength is a really big factor in lower back, lower back pain, as one example. And it's it's something you have to have, right, to be able to hold a strong, stable core and your know, or core rotation, whatever the case may be. It's vital, right? It's vital in so much of what we do in life, so much of what we do in jujitsu. Um, grip strength, grip strength is great, but grip strength is predominantly a performance, uh, something that's going to improve performance on the mat. Yes, you could argue that it, you know, it helps with injury prevention um, by having strong grips, but you get so much grip strength. Uh, I, okay, I'm going to... Maybe I don't want to contradict what I've said in the past. You 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 do develop good grip strength for jujitsu. I think everyone should do grip strength for jujitsu. But if you had to prioritize one over the other, I think the the number of benefits you get from core strength are much much broader and are much more important to overall health and performance than grip strength. So hands down, one hundred and ten percent core strength any day of the week. Right. The next question is from Jamism. Jamism, I'm not sure if that's your real name or just your handle from Instagram. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. But the your question is, I've been noticing slowly worsening, let me, let me start again. I've been noticing slowly worsening anterior knee pain. A lot of, a lot of it I'm told is poor genetics. I'd be interested in more information on knee health and maintenance. So Jamism, I'm, I, I actually went through your Instagram feed 
I was looking at some of the videos you have posted and what I could see were a lot of videos with barbell squats and a lot of videos with deadlifts. And I was looking, you were putting up some incredibly impressive numbers. Uh, I believe deadlifting three times or maybe just over three times your own body weight and also squatting two times your own body weight. Uh, for, you know, two times your own body weight for like four or five reps. So it's an incredible, you know, it's, you're bloody strong is what I'm is what I'm trying to say. But what I, what I was thinking is that I'm I will self-admit, right? I'm not an expert when it comes to squatting. I'm not an expert when it comes to deadlifting. I've worked with clients using those exercises. I've done a lot of it myself over the years, but over the last 10 years, I've predominantly been focused on bodyweight exercises and kettlebell exercises. So I, I'm unable to point out specific areas of your technique that could be causing your knee pain. But what I would say is if you're lifting those heavy weights, and if you're lifting those heavy weights on a regular basis, it's probably the first thing I would think about addressing as a potential cause for your knee pain. So I had um, had a conversation and also had a, did a really good, attended a very, very good workshop by uh, Dr. Michael Stromness. He's Enlightened Savage 101. If I remember correctly, at the top of my head on Instagram, you should definitely go check out his stuff. And he he gave a very good story where he he used to be a very high level American football player, and when when he was trained, when he was doing, he weighed about three hundred pounds, and he was able to squat over five hundred pounds, I think, for ten reps. Like, you know, r- r- ridiculous numbers, right? incredibly, incredibly strong in terms of what he was doing. Maybe it was even more than 500 pounds, I forget, but it was some staggering numbers. So he could, you know, he, he was, you know, incredibly strong, but after so much time, he was getting a lot of problems, problems in his shoulders, problems in his knees. And one of the things that he had to do when he finished playing football to kind of rebuild his body is he went back down to squatting with nothing but the bar, for for a year and a half, so I imagine the ego check that Michael Michael um, trains jujitsu as well, but you know imagine the the ego check that you've got to have to go from squatting hundreds and hundreds of pounds for multiple reps to then going back but using nothing but the bar, which is about forty five pounds if I'm incorrect, to use nothing but the bar for the next year and a half. It's an incredible ego check, right, just to do that. But the whole the whole point of it being was that he he had to go back and build his squat technique right down from the ground up to try and you know to get rid of some of the pain that he was experiencing. He said he, you know at some points he couldn't even walk up the stairs. You know partly that's going to be you know from playing playing football as well. But you know what's the point of being strong and being an athlete if you can't even get around on a day to day basis? So my point would be that. It's probably a good idea if you get knee pain is to completely back off the weight of your squats. You know, you're in Mike, you're in Michael's example that he went down to nothing but a bar and then being hypercritical on the mechanics of your squats and of your deadlifts. Uh, Kelly Starrett is someone that you absolutely should look at. Um, he's got a lot of a lot of great mot- uh, mobility. So it's Kelly. 
and Starrett, S-T-A-R-R-E-T-T, I believe it's spelt. And he's, you know, a huge proponent of, you know, form and function and mechanics over everything else, right? If, if there could be something that's just very, very minor, that's off in your form, that I, I'm not... I'm not a squat or a deadlift expert, right? So I couldn't pick them up from your videos. But if you're putting up those kind of numbers and even something is just mi just minutely off in terms of your form, oh, that's going to have a lot of wear and tear on your knees over time. So that's what I would say, you know, if you've got knee problems is back off that weight and, and, try, and try to be hypercritical on your form. Um, definitely look at stuff, uh, you know, Dr. Michael Stormless. It's at Enlightened Savage 101 on Instagram. Yeah, and he's got some really good stuff about, you know, correct core engagement when you're moving, let alone just squatting. And he talked about some fantastic exercises in terms of the correct breathing mechanics and, you know, crushing the canister, I think he calls it, with, you know, the core engagement to the lower abdominals when you're doing squats. So definitely go and check out their material. But the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, um, anterior knee pain and one of the first things i would look at is i'm not going to say i'm not going to say weakness in the quads in your case um but you know maybe it's weakness in some of the muscles in the quads maybe some are more dominant than others but more importantly looking at a lot of self massage and a lot of stretching of the quads because if you've got a lot of tension and a lot of tightness in the quads then that's going to pull down through through the patellar tendon and then through through the front of the knee potentially i don't know specifically where your problem is but you know one of the thing one of the first things i always look at is going to be um you know with any kind of anterior knee pain is you know the stretching of the quads a lot of self-massage of the quads and really loosening up those and that's going to take some of the tension and some of the pressure off off the knee and off the patellar tendon so they would definitely be things that i would look at is you know, get onto, you know, get a foam roller, massage out those quads like nothing else, really really stretch them out. Um, but more importantly, looking at the really heavy lifts that you're doing, I would say I can't personally point out and critique your form because it's not, it's not, those lifts are not areas that I specialize in. I'm more body weight in kettlebells. But it would be the first thing I'd suggest that you look at. You know, be hypercritical with the technique and really back off in terms of the weight to see if there's anything that you you could improve that could be putting wear and tear on the knee. I hope that is helpful. Okay, right. I've got one last one last question, and this is from Christian Schaefer, and he's an old training partner as well. Christian, thank you for the question. I hope you're doing well. And his question is: I've been struggling with a bat slash ITB tightness the day after a training session. What are some of the ways the ways stretching techniques to prep for this tightness and or recover significantly from the tightness? Like with any of these problems, it could be so many causes, but one of the things I would recommend you doing is making sure that um, there's one muscle, right? It's the the gluteus, the gluteus medius, and it's responsible for pulling the leg out to the side of the body. And what happens a lot when we train jujitsu is uh, think of a knee shield guard uh, or half guard, right? Or Z guard, whatever you want to call it. But you're on half guard and you're 
pressing like your knee into someone's chest and i know you're a big guard player so when you're constantly someone is pressing down it's kind of pre- they're pressing almost from the outside of your leg and that's going to put a lot of stress and a lot of strain on the hip and, and quite importantly the gluteus the gluteus medius and if that becomes weak and overworked and the other muscles in and around the hip and the glutes are going to become very very tight and that's what could be kind of radiating down into into the ITB, uh, to the I, into the IT band. So I would look at there's there's a great exercise, uh, just a side plank, um, a side plank, but raising one leg. So you're you're down on one elbow, you've got one leg. Um, so you're like you're, you're on your side, you're down on one elbow. You're doing a side plank. You, you know what a side plank is, right? But lift up, lift up the 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 the, the top leg, so your legs form a big V and hold that position for you know i would say you know two to three two to three sets for two to three two to three sets of 30 to 60 seconds two times a week and it's gonna it's one of the best exercises strengthening the, the gluteus uh, medius but the other thing i would suggest that you do is get something about the side like a softball or something you can you can massage out um the glutes right and you'll find i guarantee you're going to find some tight spots in there um and if you're getting it on one side over the other, you should probably find something that's going to be tight, quite tight and quite sore on more on one side than the other. But don't use don't use a foam roller to massage that out. If you if you use a foam roller, it's not going to be enough pressure. You're going to need some kind of ball, like a, a lacrosse ball. A golf ball is going to be a little bit harsh. Some kind of baseball or softball, something of that kind, and just get in there and spend a good. Uh, you know, a good five, five to ten minutes, just finding those tight spots and massaging uh, and massaging ev- everything out after you've trained, um, and that's going to really loosen up the tissue. And then once you've done that, I'd focus on massaging out the hip flexor. That could be another area that's tight, and when that becomes tight, you know, the other supporting muscles start to become overworked. And do um, you know, stretch out those hips, but also for the glutes i think this could be one of the big causes here is do the uh, pigeon pose google the pigeon pose it's uh, it's, it's incredibly hard to, to try to describe over um over audio over a podcast but try the try a pigeon pose after you've stretched out that glute and re, after you've massaged out that glute to really stretch out that tissue as well but the big big thing is going to be that side plank and really activating the gluteus uh, the gluteus medius and then that's going to take it you know because because of some of the movements we're performing in jiu-jitsu particularly in particular guard positions that can become well, you know tired and overworked and so we need to make sure it's really really strong to handle those demands okay i think yeah that is the last question that was a lot of fun that was actually quite difficult flipping back and forth between the different subjects i hope i've answered some you know well, I answered all the questions I got. I think I answered all the questions that I've received, unless some of those, some of them came through quite late. And I hope you found the information helpful and it's something that you can take away with you and just approach, you know, approach your training in a, in a different way. Sometimes it's, you know, so there were some specific answers in there, but sometimes it's more ideas and general concepts. I'm a big fan of giving people more ideas and concepts then you can take away and work with yourself and kind of you know rather than just giving you the specific answer to a specific problem sometimes knowing what's going on and thinking about the whole system 
uh, yeah, at least that's the way I approach strength and conditioning. So, guys, I hope you I hope you enjoyed that. I really appreciate. It. Thank you so much for all of the questions. It's an interesting format. I think I'll definitely do this again in in the future, maybe at regular intervals. But with that, uh, you know, one last one last plug to let you know about the low back pain program that's been doing some great things for a number of people, Koji and Jessica. You can go and read their stories online. So if you've got lower back pain problems and you need something that's gonna fix your lower back, uh, but also look at it's gonna the, from the stories I'm getting back from people, it, you know, is is been a huge factor in boosting their performance on the mats as well. It's not just you know, we're not just targeting the lower back with this program, we're targeting all the systems that work and link to the lower back and those systems are also the same ones that you need to have a good, strong, functioning body to perform well on the mat. So it's, it does a lot more than just try to fix your lower back. So go check that out, get the free ebook that's on there as well with some information about fixing the lower back. But other than that, guys, thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.